Trigger warning. The following episode contains references to human suffering, death, factual inaccuracies, several entitled people making light of all these things. If any of the aforementioned topics cause you discomfort, you may want to listen to a different episode. I'm telling you, George, you gotta come over and see this new painting. It is hot, hot, hot. I'm Andy. I curse the first knuckle of their pinky finger. I curse the second knuckle of their pinky finger. And so on and so on, etc. He's not here. We, he won't know if we finish. I'm Kelly. Goddamn ham peeping my gams. I curse your son, Sam. I'm Sean. Crying boy burnt down my house. Laughing dog flooded my garage. Still life with watercolors made my wife leave me. I'm Adam, and this is Acid Pop. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Acid Pop, where today we're going to be talking about curses. Curses! <laughs> Not those kind of curses. I don't know when exactly this episode will be posted, but it's a little spooky around here, so I figured I'd talk about something spooky. Probably about Thanksgiving. <laughs> the spookiest time. The spookiest time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, The ritualistic killing of a bird every year. Mm-hmm. I find that every Thanksgiving I want to curse at least one person. That is true. Curses, if you don't know, is a, a prayer or invocation for harm or injury to come upon one. Oh, interesting. Or a profane or obscene oath or word. Do you, or any, both. Do you know any obscene oaths? Obscene oaths. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Good. Great stuff. Those improv classes are really paying off. <laughs> <laughs> All I have to do is give Steve Martin two thousand more dollars. We don't teach yes but here. We teach no period. <laughs> <laughs> the etymology of curse is uh from late old English, curs, meaning a prayer that evil or harm befall one, or consignment of a person to an evil fate. That's how you spell it when you don't have any vowels. Kinda. Curse. Curse. I could curse you. So a curse curse would be like, I hope you fucking die. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's an obscene oath. Well, for, no, uh, uh, first you have to say, God, please make that dude fucking die. <laughs> <laughs> the phobia of curse is, if I can say it, deprecophobia hmm. from the Latin deprecor, meaning curse. Wow. Deprecor on your house. <laughs> uh, this is typically suffered by a person who went through a lot of curses in their life. <laughs> Yes, because that happens a lot. <laughs> well, more more realistically, it's uh, numerous failures. Bad luck, essentially. Mm. So they, they feel like they've been cursed. This is cursed. That is cursed. It, this is you not to be confused with cacologophobia. The fear of koala bears? Cacola. <laughs> That's when you, oh, you feel the fizz of cuckoo cola. Oh. And you are in a cult for mice. <laughs> this is from the Greek warning kakos, meaning bad. And logos meaning word. So it's pure bad words. <laughs> uh-huh. I don't have any science about it because there's, there's not really any science about curses. What? There's no curse science? What if I do this? Oh, I'm warding you. <laughs> I'm warding off the evil eye from Adam right You now. have to do repeating uh, experiments for it to be real science. You need a control group. Yeah. Some of the Adam's not giving the evil eye. Yeah, we'll, we won't curse Kelly. Kelly will be our <laughs> control group. Awesome. So on to our pop quiz. Uh, the curse of the Billy Goat is a curse on a well-known sports team. True or false? True. true. It's the Cubs. Sounds true. Yeah, I, I guess you guys are more versed in sports than I was. <laughs> we lived in Chicago. <laughs> That's true, yes. Supposedly placed on the Chicago Cubs in 1945 by Billy Goat Tavern owner William Cianus. 
a goat um, upon your stadium. <laughs> Wait, do tavern owners often have a lot of pull with the devil? Or uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe he's from it's the old vice. country. <laughs> Uh, the curse lasted 71 years, from 1945 to 2016. And yet the Cubs still haven't won. <laughs> they just declared it over, I guess. <laughs> the curse is over! Uh, during Game 4 of the 1945 World, Re- World Series at Wrigley Field, Sianis' pet goat named Murphy was bothering other fans. <laughs> <laughs> he brought so- his goat to- <laughs> He brought his goat, which he named his tavern after, <laughs> to the game. So in this story, the goat is also a fan if he's bothering other fans. But so he was I'm also picturing him in <laughs> like with his face painted and, yeah. and you know all out. Uh, the pair were asked to leave the stadium. <gasps> Outraged, Sianus <laughs> allegedly cursed th- allegedly cursed them, saying, "Them Cubs, they ain't gonna win no more." <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that right, Billy? <laughs> oh, is it because he had a goat with him? Maybe did he kill the goat? In spite of Sianus' <laughs> family claims that he dispatched a telegram to the team's owner that read, You are going to lose this World Series, and you are never going to win another World Series again. He must have got to the telegraph office really fast. <laughs> he was at the game. Sprinting down there holding a goat. <laughs> <laughs> the goat dictated it to me. <laughs> you are never going to win a World Series again because you insulted my coat, my goat. End quote. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is like people that try to bring their, you know, emotional support animal with them, and then they get all outraged when it's like, no, you can't bring a cockatoo into the movie theater. I'm like, what? What? He always knows, he always knows just what to say to me. <laughs> it's usually bagok. Book curses arose in medieval times. True or false? Book curses. I don't know what a book curse is. I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say false because they didn't have a whole lot of books in me. I, uh, they were getting up to some shenanigans though, so I'll say true. I'm gonna say they're older. Well, Kelly gets it. Mm. The earliest book curse can be traced back to a name that's going to be hard to pronounce, Ashurbanipal, king of Assyria from oh. sixteen or from six sixty eight to six twenty seven B C. On many or all of the tablets he had in his expansive library, he had the following inscription: "I have transcribed upon tablets the noble products of the work from the scribe which none of the kings who have gone before me had learned, together with the wisdom of Nabu, insofar as that as it existeth." I have arranged them in classes. I have revised them, and I have placed them in my palace, that I, even I, the ruler, who knoweth the light of Ashur, the king of the gods, may read them. Whoever shall carry off this tablet, or shall inscribe his name on it, side by side with my own, may Ashur and Belit overthrow him in wrath and anger. May they destroy his name, posterity, and in the land. This has been shortened to, this book belongs to. I was going to say, that's the most aggressive book plate I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, essentially, he... It was weird because he doesn't want people writing their name next to his. Yeah. So I assume this was like what you see at libraries now where you have to like do the, the date and stuff when you check the book out. Yeah. But only he's allowed to, to do it. Yeah. That, that's it, just what a modern book curse is, is the, the stamp that you get. <laughs> if you steal his book and for some strange reason don't feel like writing your name down in the book, then you're totally fine. <laughs> but there was a lot of uh, book curses that arose in medieval, in medieval times when they were more literate. One of one of the ones that I thought was kind of neat was uh, steal not this book, my honest friend, for fear the gallows should be your end. And when you die, the Lord will say, and where's the book you stole away? <laughs> God will kill you for stealing my Harry Potter. <laughs> God hates libraries. <laughs> I think there's evidence of that now. Tomb curses were extremely common with the discovery of pharaohs. True yeah. or false? Ooh, I'm going to say false. Yeah. Because I feel like it was just the one curse. Just the one curse, actually. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'll say false too. I feel like this is something that somebody came up with once and it's stuck in the public mind, but it never actually happened. I'm going to say true. That's false. Hieroglyphs were not deciphered until the early 19th century, so any account of pharaoh curses before that time were entirely made up, not yeah. including the ones that were made up after that time period. All the cursed people were completely dead by that point, so it was a mute <laughs> point. Uh, even the famous curse of King Tut's tomb was fabricated, and there was no actual curse found anywhere in the tomb. It seems to me I like tried to look that up once for, I think maybe it was during our Mummies episode I was trying to look into that, it's like, oh, the people that found it were cursed. The first person died 37 years later at home in bed. It's like, well, that's Insidious. a slow-acting curse. Well, I, there is quite a bit of information about the curse, like, even though there wasn't, like, it's still a belief, but there wasn't yeah. an actual inscription about it. So, I mean, it could be an episode later on. While some of the more famous examples were fabricated, there were curses on some of the tombs, and there's sort of a weird dividing line between Old Kingdom and New Kingdom. Huh. The Old Kingdom ones are a little bit more laid Spiteful. back. Oh, <laughs> Come on in, take some <laughs> canoptic jars. The tomb of Onktifi from the 9th to, to 10th dynasty contains the warning, any ruler who shall do evil or wickedness to this coffin may Heman not accept any goods he offers uh, and may his heir not inherit. <laughs> you don't get any generational poor. wealth. Yeah. Gods won't accept your peaches. <laughs> uh, whereas a, a, an inscription from a later tomb uh, says... As for all men who shall enter my tomb, impure, there will be judgment. An end shall be made for him. I shall seize his neck like a bird. I shall cast the fear of myself into him. Wow. Now that sounds like a curse. Yeah, that sounds pretty spooky. I'm going to choke you like a bird. <laughs> Shake you like a little bird. Oh, I thought it was like the way a bird seizes a neck, and I was trying to picture what that looked like. <laughs> <laughs> On to our next question. Two well-known biblical curses are the curse of Cain and the curse of what? Oh, boy. I have no idea. If, if Dracula 2000 is to be believed, the curse of Judas is to become Dracula. Isn't there Didn't someone who's referred to as, like, the wandering Jew who is cursed with immortality of some sort? I did see references to that, but I didn't do any research into that particular one. <laughs> There's Moses, right? He was cursing people left and right. Those were but plagues. But then, he, oh. then he disobeyed and he hit, he hit a rock. <laughs> <laughs> is that everyone? I think so. Well, the correct answer was ham. Ham? <laughs> My ham! The curse of ham. <laughs> curse of, let me see, flip it through. It's a, uh, ham? It's a Christmas curse. <laughs> uh, while the mark of Cain is God's promise to offer Cain divine protection from premature death with the status pur stated purpose of preventing anyone from killing him. Oh, no. The curse of ham was a curse that a drunk Noah <laughs> based upon <laughs> ham son Canaan. So... Noah got wine drunk okay. <laughs> and went to his tent. Daddy's in his cups. <laughs> he went to his tent and stripped completely naked. <laughs> Let's get some curses on. Then his, his son Ham came into his tent and saw him naked. So drunk Noah put a curse on Ham's son for okay. Ham seeing him naked. <laughs> he saw him a ding dong boy. <laughs> From Genesis 9.25, the curse goes, and he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall, be, shall he be until his, unto his brethren. So basically, this curse is an excuse for slavery. Oh. Good. Because you saw his ding dong? <laughs> because, <laughs> because his dad saw his grandpa naked. <laughs> I don't even remember that in the commandments. <laughs> they expect you to read this book and be like, love everyone. <laughs> That's the Thou shalt not see your father hang brain. <laughs> <laughs> What is the nocebo effect? Oh, I knew this. It was in our 
placebo. It's the placebo effect, isn't it? Isn't this when a placebo, like, you, it's like the opposite. It's like you, you don't think it'll work, so it doesn't work. Like, you take Tylenol, but you don't think it'll do anything. It's it's where you don't think something will work, but it works twice as good because you become worried that you're <laughs> that by not thinking it'll work, it'll make it work. I wonder what the medicine thinks about me. <laughs> I'm going to say it's like when it's like a negative placebo. So it's like curses and things. Someone tells you bad things are going to happen to you. Mm. So you start seeing bad things. That's essentially it's kind of it's just the opposite of a placebo. Uh, it occurs when negative expectations from a patient regarding a treatment causes the treatment to have more negative effects than it otherwise would have. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was like with side effects. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. It comes from Latin nocebo, meaning <laughs> I shall harm or I harm. <laughs> I harm. <laughs> As opposed to placebo, which means I shall please or I please. Yeah. I please. Please, Bo. <laughs> uh, what is Bubsy's stoop chair? <laughs> it's the curse on that freaking mascot to always have shitty games and the, the, <laughs> it, it came from somebody they named they named the character after a dead child who used to sit on a stoop i don't know not bad <laughs> bubsy's stoop chair got that right that's it <laughs> Point, points for getting the name right again wait do we get, do we get points for that yeah i'd already forgotten so i appreciated it there's got to be a place for your mailman to sit down and take a breather. My mailman, Bubsy. Yeah. Hey, Bubsy. Hi. <laughs> it's got to be a cursed chair, right? Getting warmer. <laughs> the chair belonged to Bubsy, and as he died, he cried out, None shall sit upon my stoop chair. Shoop a doop. <laughs> <laughs> that's my guess. Uh, that, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Bubsy's stoop chair, or the dead man's chair. Uh, is an allegedly cursed chair uh, cursed by the murderer Thomas Bubsy before his execution by hanging in 1702 North Yorkshire. And Um, is it still there? Are we allowed to touch it? It is in a museum. Locals claim that during the Second World War, Canadian airmen from the nearby base uh, would go to the pub where the chair was at, and any who sat in the chair never returned from their bombing missions over mainland Europe. (laughs) Also, no one ever... no one else ever returned from yeah. their bombing. <laughs> the other chairs are also cursed. <laughs> this is a whole cursed bar. Say at that museum, there's one of those signs that say, please do not sit on the exhibits, but this one, the please is in bold. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that. At the Thirsk Museum, where it is, uh, the chair is hung from the ceiling to prevent occupancy, <laughs> even by maintenance. Wow. However, a furniture historian examined the chair. I assume they brought it to Antiques Roadshow or something. I thought you were going to say a trapeze artist visited one day. <laughs> Watch me sit in it. <laughs> they found the chair to have machine-turned spindles, whereas 18th century chairs were made using a pole lathe, which this dated the chair to 1840, 138 years after after Bubsy's execution. Ah, so it's a time-traveling cursed chair. <laughs> Even spookier. Oh, he invented the lathe and never told anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sit in my fucking chair. <laughs> my future chair what does the curse of scotland oh an ability to get independence from the uk yeah I was like, <laughs> they can never have their own king for more than like five years at a stretch half this, credit the curse of scotland is to consistently be associated with mel gibson <laughs> think haggis tastes good this is a nickname used for the nine of diamonds in the play, oh. in a playing card deck weird there's a number of different theories as to why it has this title nobody can quite agree on it but a few of them are Diamonds as the ornamental jewel of the crown imply royalty. Sure. And the 
Kings of Scotland, every ninth one ends up being a tyrant. Oh. Which one are we on right now? I don't know. <sighs> Do they have a king right now? Oh, I think they have to share Charles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, another theory is uh, the crown of Scotland contained only nine stones and then they, they could never afford a tenth. <laughs> that seems like enough. There was a game called Pope Joan. It was a card game where the nine of diamonds was the most powerful card in the game. It was also referred to as the Pope. Whoa. Therefore, the nine of diamonds is the curse of Scotland for being the Pope. Uh, oh, mm-hmm. that's a that's a lot of layers. <laughs> like I said, nobody can really uh, agree on the exact origin of it, but there's some fun ones. I feel like if there's a nickname, it has to be shorter than the name. Like, that that's the rule for nicknames. <laughs> I also found, like, a list of other card nicknames. There's some weird ones. Huh. It's like the Devil's Bedpost. One's called, like, the Puppy. <laughs> Which card is the Puppy? I think it's one of the Aces. <laughs> I think the Ace of Diamonds is, like, the Pig's Eye. This is our episode on uh, cards. Thank you. <laughs> there's also one called the Curse of Mexico, but I couldn't figure out why it was called that. <laughs> Okay, so that does it for our quiz. Uh, tally up the points. I think Kelly won. I think so, too. Uh, so we're going to get into some of our stories. But not all of them. You'll have to come back next time. <laughs> well, I didn't include the the big Pharaoh stuff, because that kind of seemed like it could be an episode on its own. Same with, mm. like, the Curse of the Hope Diamond. Seemed like there was enough information there. It could be its own thing. Start out with the Curse of Gavin Dunbar. Okay. This one guy. <laughs> oh, it's quite a curse. Gavin Dunbar, born in 1490, he was appointed the Archbishop of Glasgow, Scotland, on July 8th, 1524. Back to the curse of Scotland. <laughs> By Pope Clement the sixth or seventh. Eighth. Do I hear nine? <laughs> <laughs> Which one of you all wants to be Clement? Gavin Dunbar is unofficially known as one of the greatest cursors of all time. Ooh. <laughs> uh, at the time, there was a group known, known as Border Revivers. They came from both English and Scottish background, and they essentially raided the borderlands in between England and Scotland. Isn't that an ocean? <laughs> no, they, they have a border. Oh. I think Ireland's the island, right? Is that right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, Scotland does about England. So they were raiding the borderlands in between where basically the common folk didn't have like specific protectors. Like They were just opportunistic and going after civilians on either side and just pillaging the whole countryside. And Gavin Dunbar hated this a <laughs> lot. So in response to this group, Gavin Dunbar issued his uh, monition of cursing uh, to all the parishes of the border who were required to read the curse to their congregation. Wow. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> repeat after me. Send out a missive. <laughs> this curse is 1,583 words long. That's pretty long. Is it in Latin? Uh, it was in Old Scottish, actually. Mm, I was going to have Andy read a bunch of this in Scottish, but... Uh, Ugh. <laughs> I got I have some excerpts here, which I mean, it's still a little bit long because, you know, it's a really long curse. <laughs> he was real mad. <laughs> Didn't like periods. So here we go. It's very thorough. I curse their heads and all the hairs of their heads. I curse <laughs> their faces, their eyes, their mouths, their nose, their tongues, their teeth, their chins. <laughs> Did I leave anything out? <laughs> Ears are OK. Curse uh, your freckles. He, then he takes a breath. Their shoulders, <laughs> their breasts, their hearts. <laughs> Their stomachs, their backs, their sexual organs, their arms, their legs, their hands, their feet, and every like part of their body. Could have just started with that. <laughs> From the top of their heads to the soles of their feet, before and behind, within and without. <laughs> Future and past. Forever and ever. <laughs> In all the multiverses. <laughs> I curse them going. I curse them writing. 
It's starting to turn into Dr. Seuss. Yeah. I curse them with a box. <laughs> I curse them standing. I curse them seated. I curse them eating. I curse them drinking. I curse them walking. I curse them sleeping. I curse them risen. I curse them lying down. Uh, we'll I feel like he was phoning in some of this curse. <laughs> I have a book of nouns here. He, all, he also got wine drunk and was wandering around naked having a scribe. <laughs> His teacher Let's assigned see. him a one thousand word curse. And he just kept rolling. I think this is double and a half spaced. There's no contractions Gavin. on that curse. Let's see. Let's see, let's see if we can shorten this a bit. Uh, he curse them at home, their wives, their children, their servants, all who are all who participate with them in what they decide uh, in their decisions. What do you want for lunch? <laughs> Fucking cursed! How dare you agree with their lunch choice? Someday he's going to have to tell us what he's cursing them to do. Like so oh, far, I'm we're there. Okay. I curse their friends, their cattle, their wool, their sheep, their swine, their geese, their hens, their livestock. Livestock includes all those. <laughs> <laughs> Quiet, I'm not done. <laughs> Man hates collective nouns. Halls, bedrooms, kitchens, standings, barns, cow sheds, barnyards, cabbage patches. <laughs> Get my no thesaurus. From there. <laughs> the carrot fields can stay. The fuck <laughs> cabbage patches. <laughs> their plows, their harrows, their goods, their houses. Which are necessary for their sustenance and their welfare, he said, for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> a little civics lesson thrown in the middle. Well, it, if, if it's a rental, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Landlords can stay. So yeah, he, he basically cursed about every aspect of them that he could. He, he goes on into a lot of more detail after that. Uh, he, go, he, goes, he goes into the background of curses, like in the Bible. Like, he talks about how God cursed people. <laughs> Different hair colors, eye colors. Noah Grand tradition people. that I am following in. I curse your hams. <laughs> the curse of hams. And then he gets into the actual, like, what is this curse going to do? Now that he's cursed every bit of you. And your friends and anybody who has ever agreed with you. Uh, and all the vengeance that has ever been taken since the beginning of the world for open sins and all the plagues and pestilence that ever befell man or beast might fall on them and, and on them for their open plundering and theft, senseless slaughter and shedding of innocent blood. I sever, excommunicate, and part them from the church of God, and deliver them vigorously to the devil himself. <laughs> you, you have a direct pipeline to the devil? I know the devil's P.O. box. <laughs> and a very enthusiastic mailman. Uh, I prohibit and bar places to which they go for divine services and ministerings from sacraments of the Holy Church, except the sacraments of baptism allegiance. What, so some poor barkeep one day gave one of those guys a beer and now he's cursed too? Yeah, he can't yep. go to church anymore. Damn. And I forbid all churchmen to hear confessions or absolve them of their sins until they first be absolved of this cursing. They mustn't plug their ears and say, la, 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 I'm not listening. <laughs> uh, and then he goes on to say, basically, anybody who's hearing this is a good person, don't associate with them. In a lot more words. <laughs> don't associate with their eyes, their ears. <laughs> oh, God, it's happening again. <laughs> Did I say monition? I meant a Mobius of cursing. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, I thought that was a very impressive curse. <laughs> Continued on page two. And now and now picture it in, spoken in heavy Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> this ah! does sound like something uh, Scrooge McDuck would be shouting out from his rooftop. Well, in the, the, the transcriptions that I could find of it, it was written in the old Scottish. So yeah. it was really easy to read it as Scottish. <laughs> I curse their heads, their hairs, their heads. <laughs> uh, so the next story I have is The Crying Boy. Oh. So I have a, a picture I'm going to send you here. No, not another picture. No, it's way it's way more pleasant than any of Sean's pictures. I thought mine were pretty tame for me. It is a crying boy. Huh? Yeah. Am I cursed if I look at this picture? No, you're womp, fine. Womp. Looks surprisingly like the cute puppy you just sent. <laughs> yeah, kind of. 
painted by Giovanni Bragolin in the 1950s as part of a, a series of crying children. <laughs> is he <laughs> having a bad day? <laughs> uh, the picture is presented in sepia tones, and the painting depicts a waifish boy with a pouty face and tears running down. He is rather waifish. One big ghibli sort of tear running down his cheek. Big goopy tear. <laughs> Why anybody would want a the picture of a crying boy in their home is beyond me, but the painting sold very well at the time. <laughs> it proved popular all over the world, with 50,000 copies being sold in the UK alone. Until... Lots of people don't like children. Just want to see them miserable. <laughs> this is my crying child room. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's weird. Some of these some of these people had like two of this painting in their house. What? So they could look at each other and cry more? <laughs> so they could look at one with each eye and make it a 3D picture of a crying child. <laughs> it's like he's actually here crying in front of me. <laughs> yes. Uh, in September 1985, York, uh, a Yorkshire fireman, Peter Hall, was quoted in a national newspaper as saying that fire brigade brigades across north of England had found multiple instances of the same picture remaining untouched by fires, whose wow. causes remained unknown. This sounds like an uncursed painting. Yeah. Well, the, the belief is that the painting was causing the fires. But I guess if you hug the painting really tight during the fire, you might be okay. <laughs> Just take the, what, the tarp what, off the frame and wrap yourself in it. That's what was causing the fires. They hugged that poor crying boy so hard that he sparked up. <laughs> Peter Hall came out with the story after his uh, brother, Ron Hall, who did not believe in the story the firemen were, were talking about, deliberately bought a copy of The Crying Boy to disprove the story. <laughs> And then found his home mysteriously burnt down soon afterwards. <laughs> he burned down his brother's home, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> after seeing that the picture had re had remained intact in the fire, he soon after put his boot through it. <laughs> Is it possible these pictures were printed on asbestos? We'll we'll get into a bit of the theory. <laughs> it's not the picture's fault he was so wrong. Dora Bran of Mitcham, Surrey, saw her home reduced to uh, a pile of ashes uh, six weeks after she bought the painting. And... Uh, while she owned many other paintings, it was the only one that survived. Wow. 21st of October of the same year, the Pario Pizza Palace of Yarmouth, <laughs> Norfolk, was uh, gutted by fire, although it's prominent, prominently displayed the crying boy picture remained in pristine condition. That's what I want with my pizza. <laughs> yeah. Sad boy. But <laughs> those tears are on this pizza. So what you're saying is that uh, this was a great insurance scam that everyone leaned into. That very well could be. Again, all, all these in, all the stories happen in the same year. Uh, the Godper family of oh, all these English names, <laughs> Herringthorpe, South Yorkshire, lost their Flop. home to an unexplained fire. Uh, the crying boy picture displayed in their living room stayed, stayed unmarked while pictures on either side of it were completely burned. <laughs> uh, in Heswall, Merriside, a pair, a pair of the paintings hanging in the living room and dining rooms of a house belonging to the Amos family were found intact after a gas explosion destroyed the building. Uh, and then in December of that year, 67-year-old William Armitage died in a mysterious fire that swept through his house in Weston, uh, Weston Supermare Avon, Avon. <laughs> it was discovered that the crying boy picture was found intact lying beside the, uh, the old man's charred body. Wow. He was trying to crawl into the picture for safety. Yeah, maybe he, maybe he did try that. The artist said, I'm a wizard! <laughs> One of the firemen who dealt with the blaze afterwards is quoted as saying, I never believed in the jinx up until now, but when you actually come across a picture in a gutted room and it's literally the only thing that hasn't been touched, it's, it is most odd. I can get you one for twenty twenty seven right now. 20, wait. $20, 27 cents oh, framed. That's not bad. You want to hang it in your living room? I, I said I'd get it for you. <laughs> I'm a renter. It's a great housewarming gift. 
Episode's over. Save it for the intros. <laughs> Steve Punt, a British writer and comedian. So the kind of person you want investigating your curses. <laughs> yep. A name you can trust. Uh, investigated the curse on behalf of BBC Radio 4. The conclusion reached by the program following testing at the building research establishment is that the prince retreated in a varnish containing fire retardant. <laughs> and uh, the string holding the paintings to the wall would be the first to deteriorate, resulting in the painting landing face down on the floor and being protected. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, this didn't explain the fires, but it did explain why the painting would survive. I, I, I'm buying into Kelly's insurance scam idea. Yeah, you know, once a, f- a couple of them happen, you might as well. And the the last story I have here is James Dean's Little Bastard. <laughs> is that his name for his penis? <laughs> <laughs> it's cursed. His car? It is a car. I, the man liked cars. The start of the curse of the Little Bastard begins uh, the week before any accidents occurred. This is a curse curse. A curse curse? Bastard. Oh, you're right. <laughs> and it was a hearse. <laughs> a hearse curse curse. <laughs> what could be worse? <laughs> Send it to the Thirst Museum. Uh, James Dean met with British actor Alex, Alec Guinness on September 23, 1955. After dinner, James showed off his brand new silver Porsche 550 Spider, mm. spelled with a Y, uh, that had just been delivered. And for whatever reason... Guinness allegedly warned Dean to never enter the car. He said, quote, please never get in it. It is now 10 o'clock, Friday, the 23rd of September, 1955. <laughs> I, 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 believe, I believe they misquoted him. He said, this isn't the car you're looking for. <laughs> if you get in that car, you will be found dead at it at this time by next week. That's weird really that he had the date and time just like primed, ready to go. <laughs> I'm looking at my calendar right now, James. Uh, the following Friday, his prediction came true. Yeah. Alec Guinness killed James Dean. <laughs> <laughs> he called his shot. Uh, on September 30th, 1955, James Dean was killed in a head-on collision uh, when a Ford 1950 Tudor uh, crossed the center line. Tudor Tudor. Tudor Tudor. Tudor. Alan Tudyk. <laughs> Alan Tudyk's Tudor Tudor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the car was declared a total loss by the insurance company and was sold for parts to a Dr. William es- Eschrich. So we can rebuild it. <laughs> Uh, the car in which the in uh, Eschrich essentially bought it for parts, and he installed various parts into a couple of his own race cars. Uh, the car in which the engine had been had been installed killed its driver, Doctor McHenry. Doctors and doctors. <laughs> While he slept at home, <laughs> <laughs> just in a, the garage, just the an engine block on top of this man. <laughs> <laughs> killed its driver, Doctor McHenry, when a loss of control ca- caused a collision with a tree in its very first race. In the middle of the desert, the tree fell out of a plane. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Es- Esrich. What's with all these doctors? This is, this is the, Esrich is the one that bought the, oh, the remains. the first doctor. There's just two doctors. What's with all this doctor? <laughs> the doctor who owned the pieces was injured in the very same race when his car rolled. Uh, that <laughs> car had Little Bastard's drive drivetrain installed. Hmm. Maybe don't use junky old pieces that were just <laughs> saved from an accident. <laughs> These probably have structural, like, imperfections now. Also, James Dean's ghost. <laughs> Plus all that hair grease. I, just, I assume James Dean talks like uh, Matthew McConaughey. Hey. Hey, the nice car you got there. That's pretty nice. It's a Lincoln. After the accidents, uh, George Barris, the self-described, self-described king of customizers, uh, bought all the available parts of Little Bastard. What? He, he's very famous. I think he's the one that uh, he designed most of the Batman cars, if I remember right. Okay. Huh. Uh, but he's, he's very famous in the car community. I want to self-describe myself as something. That sounds like... 
Go for I, it. I can give myself a moniker. <laughs> you can do it right now. All right, we'll wait on that. <laughs> <laughs> the floor is yours. <laughs> uh, so he bought all the parts that he could for the little bastard. And in 1956, Barris restored it with as much of the original material as possible. Uh, once finished, he loaned out Little Bastard to the Los Angeles chapter of the National Safety Council. <laughs> <laughs> Said, let's see how safe you are now. <laughs> Build is James Dean's last sports car. The exhibit was toured in various various custom car shows, movie theaters, bowling alleys, and highway safety displays throughout California. Bowling alleys <laughs> where you want to see a car? Yeah, a dead, a dead man's car. I can't see the pins over this goddamn car. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of the lanes! <laughs> <laughs> how ironic that it was crossing the center lane <laughs> on march 11th 1955 the garage holding little bastard caught fire or as i wrote here caught four <laughs> while waiting display <laughs> for what for what <laughs> four bowling balls because it was in the damn alley i spelled it f-o-r-e <laughs> <laughs> uh, then in 1960 little bastard was returning from an exhibit in florida in a train box car According to Barris, he signed for the still-sealed boxcar, but upon opening it, found that it was empty. Oh, it's a ghost car. As of 2022, Little Bastard is still officially listed as missing, with a $1 million reward. It's got a bounty on it? <gasps> yeah. Wanted dead or alive. Well, it, it probably rolled into a ditch the second the guy got it off the train. <laughs> <laughs> Just take it out of park here. Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> he died, and then... Uh... I'm still stuck at the beginning of this story. I'm like imagining andy standing next to me being like do not get into that fit kelly <laughs> surely you will die before the week is out and i'd be right like right now it is october 29th <laughs> at 2 34 p.m and if you get into this car you'll be dead within a week the moon is two-thirds waning <laughs> be like i gotta 10 percent chance of rain <laughs> calm down sunset at sixteen twenty-three. Alec Guinness was also wine drunk. <laughs> he was very drunk. <laughs> Most people who do curses. Yeah, that's a little known fact. <laughs> One of the theories here is that uh, the interest in James Dean's last uh, sports car was waning and that uh, Barris fabricated the, the disappearance of the car. Was there insurance money involved? Did not say. Did, he, he didn't put a, a picture of the crying boy inside of it and start cackling. <laughs> there was a boy driving that haunted car and he was crying. <sighs> uh, and that's the end of the stories I have. Wow. Any uh, personal anecdotes for anybody cursed around here? I haven't cursed anyone in years. <sighs> My mother-in-law was accused once of the, at the phone store of giving someone the evil eye. Really? <clears throat> yeah. It's an, a, another older woman that was like, you, you, like, basically, like, you gave me the evil eye and you need to remove it. And she was like, get out of my store. Okay, and it's gone. <laughs> this pulls out her eye drops like, grip, grip. How's that? <laughs> for dry, evil eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those things where you you work in retail long enough, you're going to have a few stories, but I'd never had anybody be like, you've cursed me. <laughs> that is a new one for me. <laughs> in one of my uh, favorite David Sedaris books, even though I don't know who David Sedaris is, he writes short story collections and then he like tours around the world reading them to audiences mm -hmm. and then he signs books after, which he does like nine months out of every year and has done for like 30 years. So like- he sits around a lot, um, so he's always like trying to find new interesting questions to ask people because he just <laughs> sits around in lines a lot of the time. And one of the questions he asked was, tell me what your favorite curse is. And one person told him that her favorite curse was, may you die in a house built of your kidney stones. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Smelly house. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Okay. There's no other stories? Nobody wants to admit to any more cursing? 
Not on the recording. <laughs> My game today is, um, we all find ourselves in a spooky attic full of all manner of things you'd expect to find in an attic. <laughs> you require to take one object from this attic. Ah. I don't know why. It's part of your inheritance <laughs> or something. Uh, but be warned. All the objects in this attic are cursed with something ironically appropriate. What do you take? <laughs> do we get to and tell what you the what curse? the curse is? Okay. And then whoever has the worst curse, I guess, wins. I think I would take an unlabeled box, but whatever you put in that box, and when you open it back up, there's just something different in there. Not something good, just something different. So hmm. you can like never find what you're looking for in that box. You're saying if you put something in the box, it turns into something else? Yeah. Hmm. It's the ultimate junk drawer. <laughs> yeah, but it's never something like, it's not going to be like a human head or a million dollars. It's like you put a set of plates in there and you open it up and it's a lamp. And you're just like, well, I don't need a lamp. I kind of needed plates. <laughs> put all my fine china in here. <laughs> Guess we can eat off the lamp. Because this is my experience with addicts is they've just got boxes that you think you know what's inside and then you open it up and you're like, no, that is not what I was looking for. The box is labeled miscellaneous. I picked up an old fashioned phonograph from this attic. Ooh. And uh, the wax cylinder always plays, uh, it's it's just recordings of presidents on the toilet. <laughs> How did they get Obama on here? <laughs> Spooky. See, if it's got future presidents, you could predict the future. You just got to oh. find politicians and sound, find out what they sound like on the toilet. <laughs> Is that a Hillary Clinton poop? Or a- <laughs> I have got a folding card table where... Every time you unfold it, there's fi- five dogs coming to your house to start playing poker. <laughs> Get out of here. It's supposed to be D&D tonight. God damn it. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. We can't play again. The I don't know why we even use this table. I gotta be a traditionalist. Okay. I need a, a ceramic doll that's doll? gonna yeah. try and kill me. <laughs> Classic. So just, I mean, just a murderous doll. That's a pretty good have, one. You have a lot of experience protecting yourself from murderous dolls. It's true. I feel like I could take the doll. <laughs> this is a Furby. <laughs> I'd be scared. So why does Kelly have a lot of experience with murderous dolls? My dolls used to try to kill me. I feel like there's more story here. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a line she threw out. Just nobody bit. Just uh, okay. Moving on. My reporter sense is tingling. <laughs> I used to get dolls as, as a kid, and I'm kind of afraid of dolls. They, they freak me out. So I would put them up on the very top shelf in my room where they... My figuring was they were... You know, they were porcelain. If they came for me, they would break. <laughs> what would actually it's not, it's happen not bad logic. is they would fall on my head. <laughs> Shattering both their skulls. <laughs> and on at least one occasion, my mother was very upset at me because she found a doll tied up in a pile of stuffed animals because it was freaking me out. <laughs> so I buried it under my stuffed animals who I trusted. And uh, and figured I was safe. <laughs> that's, was that's I a teenager always... at the time? Possibly. It's <laughs> <laughs> one of those things that's interesting. It's like, here, I want you to have this thing. And by, by the time you're a teenager, it's like, I don't like this thing. It's like, yes, but I'd like you to have it. Put this creepy thing in your room. Uh, it's so cute how little Kelly puts the dolls up way up high in her room where she can see them all the time. <laughs> I don't know why she attaches kill switches to all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I got nooses around their little doll necks. <laughs> they try to jump off the shelf. Okay, well, I think Kelly wins that one. I don't think I can compete with Murderous Doll. <laughs> Poker Doll. Uh, so unless anybody wants to add anything else, I think that's the end of the show. No? Nope. All right. Good. Well, until next time, we'll see you then. Bye.